fasting. It's been a difficult week, a painful week in many ways, but we're so glad to have been able to be praying and fasting through the week. Thank you. I, I think pretty much everyone who could participate was able to again. I often say that, but it's been true. It's been wonderful to have prayer meetings every morning, every evening. Uh, the Friday night of prayer was just beautiful. Uh, and then people praying through the night in the prayer room. Thank you so much to the Edwards family for your creativity and your hard work in setting up the 24-hour prayer room. We really appreciate that. <laughs> Helped us no end, not only in praying some wonderful prayers through Friday into Saturday morning, but also some, some really helpful conversations and prayers and agreements that we've reached in there as well in terms of relationships. So I'm so grateful to you for that. Um, wonderful. Uh, so we're going to carry on with our um, Galatians series this morning. Um, we started, well done, solid. I'm not offended, that's fine. Go and enjoy yourselves. Thanks, Andy and Jean. Uh, we're going to continue with our uh, Galatians series. We just started in the first four verses last week. Um, if you want to recap, you can find that kind of stuff online somewhere. Um, excuse me if I'm coughing a bit this morning. Please forgive me. Um, and we continue Galatians 1, verses 6 to 10 today. We've just got a few copies uh, left of the John Stock Galatians study guide experience in the grace of Christ. We really wanted to put some, as we, as we work through Galatians through this, this year, really, on and off, we just wanted some helpful things in, in your hand. I know so many of you want to read around the, the verses that we're preaching. Uh, and, and I wanted to find some books that were both helpful and accessible. Not everyone reads big fat books, I get that. John Stott writes so well and so theologically, wrote so well and so theologically, but it's also a book that's only about, let me just double check for you, 64 pages long. So that's not bad, is it? And these days, your average paperback sets you back about 12 pounds, so you can get these for a fiver. We've got a few out in the corridor there. Please grab one of these if you want to take your own time, your own devotional times in your prayer life or... Perhaps if you're studying the book with friends or as a husband and wife, um, or maybe even small group leaders want to take, take one or two copies and, and try those out with your small, your small groups. Yeah, Lord Jesus, we, uh, we're so grateful for your presence. We come in our weakness. We thank you. We've been singing that we stand in your strength, <laughs> not anything of our own, but of yours. Will you help me now as I open this passage? Lord, always come with fear and trembling to the scriptures. This is your word. And uh, Lord, you brought us to this, this book. And uh, as we go through verse by verse, I pray you'd speak to each of our hearts. I pray you build us, strengthen us, comfort us, encourage us, build us up, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. By the way, please have a, when we uh, take some time to pray and as people go for tea and coffee, please come and have a look at some of the prayers. We brought some stuff out of the prayer room, some of the prayers that were written Friday night on bits of cardboard. Forgive me if you came I thought I'd put them down the aisles so people could read them as they came in, but it turned out they were a little bit slippy, and uh, we didn't want anyone uh, kind of doing that on the way down the aisles, but please have a wander down and uh, read some of the prayers or pray them your yourselves. Okay, so uh, Galatians chapter 1. I'll, I'll read from where we started last week, and then we'll continue through verse 6 to, to 10. Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We had such a helpful time in that passage last week. It did me good anyway. 
Um, he goes on, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we've already said, so now I say, again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is really part two of the introduction that we started uh, last week. Paul's writing uh, for very specific reasons to churches that he uh, and others planted with his team uh, across what we would now call modern-day Turkey, uh, now very much uh, an, an Islamic, well, they would call themselves still a secular nation, but really an Islamic nation, but some vibrant churches planted here, um, probably around Paul's first missionary journey when he went with Barnabas around AD 48. Um, they planted churches uh, people responded to the gospel. They baptized them in water and in the Holy Spirit. They appointed elders to lead the churches. And so they moved on. He's now writing to these churches as an apostle. And he stated his authority to do so in the verses we started with last week. Uh, and he's calling them back to the, the, the doctrines, the gospel uh, that they began on. Excuse me, if you know Paul's letters or if you've read any of his letters to the many churches that he was involved in planting or that he longed to go uh, and minister to, you find Paul will often make some warm remarks. Um, he'll normally say some, uh, he'll pray for the churches or he'll, he'll find some grounds to commend them uh, for all that they're doing. Uh, now, this is more like one of my school reports, this, this letter, um, straight into the concerns we have for the pupil. Um, he, he's having stated his authority as an apostle to speak into them, having reminded them of the gospel of grace in verse 4 and the simplicity uh, but the power of that gospel that we have one who gave himself for our sins, Jesus Christ, to rescue us from the present evil age. Uh, having said that's the gospel you came in on, he's now deeply concerned and he pulls no punches. And so this, all the way through, we find very strong language here from Paul. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. The word that we translate astonished in our English Bibles means Paul is, is so very deeply moved. It's, in his, it's a gut level movement somewhere. Um, he's saying it's incomprehensible to me um, that you should be capable of, of falling away from this gospel um, that you accepted so readily in this way. You find a similar thing with other leaders, particularly back in the Old Testament. We find uh, the, the, the incredible story of Ezra as the exiles have come out uh, and are uh, looking at rebuilding the temple and the, and the city of God. And, uh, and Ezra has given God's people instructions, keep themselves pure, don't take for yourself foreign wives. And, and then Ezra finds that the men have given in and taken for themselves foreign wives. And by the way, there's no problem with that today, uh, just in case you're... You're thinking of dating someone who's, who's not uh, from your nation. Um, but Ezra, it says, he was appalled. He was appalled at, at, at the turning of the people. Nehemiah, the same, uh, when he was still uh, in exile and, and heard from friends who come from the broken down walls of his home city of Jerusalem. He was, he was so appalled at the state of, his, of God's city, astonished, appalled, incomprehensible. It, it, we're talking here about a, a, a deep, Holy Spirit-led conviction that must lead to action. 
So I wonder what have these people done that Paul should be so deeply moved? Are they like the Corinthians? We'll get to that letter some other time. Uh, getting drunk during communion, all kinds of, of terrible, uh, open sexual sin. No, it doesn't appear to be that way at all. In fact, if you measured your ethics on a scale, you might say the things they're doing don't seem to be as bad as the Corinthians. And yet Paul is astonished. I think what we find to be true is that when Satan can't tempt a church into sin, uh, then he will try and distort them with false doctrines. And certainly that's what's happening here. And, uh, and Paul is very wary to it. I don't think Paul is astonished that Satan, the enemy, uses this strategy. I don't think that's astonishing to him. Paul would already know. Satan is described as a liar, a deceiver. He's been one who distorts from the very beginning. If you know the big story of the Bible, the very beginning with Adam and Eve in Genesis and Satan manifests in the form of a snake and comes to Eve and says, did God really say? Satan has worked that way ever since, just questioning, just twisting, just distorting with regards to the doctrines of, of God. That's not astonishing to Paul at all. It was Paul as well who said later to the Ephesian elders in another church he'd planted, when I've gone from you, savage wolves will come in from amongst you. Uh, savage wolves will come in uh, amongst the sheep, even from amongst you. So that deceptive doctrines that are not the gospel would come into a church is not astonishing to Paul. Um, if we know the schemes of Satan, we should be ready for that. Um, and we know Satan's not creative. He still works the same way today. But that believers who've been saved by grace fall for his schemes uh, that is what is astonishing and heartbreaking and incomprehensible to Paul with regard to the gospel they began with and have now moved away from. And he says uh, in verse 6, I'm, I'm, I'm astonished uh, that you're so quickly moving away and deserting the one who called you uh, by the grace of Christ. Of course, there are issues believers can disagree over. Um, and remain in loving fellowship within the heart of a faith rooted in the gospel. I, we've had some of that in the church this week, I think. Um, but we're talking about something different here. We're talking about phrases deserting the one who called you. We're talking about a different gospel. Um, so these are not issues that Christians can disagree on. Um, we, we don't have to pretend some kind of Disneyland happy agreement on everything. Uh, but there are some core issues with regard to the gospel that we must be on agreement on, in agreement on if we remain within Orthodox Christianity. And here Paul is writing to them with such sternness because um, the Galatians are questioning the very gospel itself. Where central gospel issues are at stake, Paul's not going to allow for any lack of clarity or compromise. And so he communicates very strongly and urgently and rightly so. He's, again, this strong language, quickly deserting, he says. Uh, John Stott, uh, I think in his notes in here, he says, uh, this is to transfer your allegiance. Um, it would be the language that would be used, it would be familiar if you're talking about uh, soldiers who deserted from uh, an army or who revolted against their commanding officers. Um, that, that's what you've done with regard to the gospel, Paul is saying. Or those who change sides in politics, you know, when the, the tide turns a little bit, uh, and, so, uh, and so we jump to another party, the other side of the house, those kinds of things in, in British politics uh, at least. Paul says you've deserted. And deserted not the message, although of course they have, but you've deserted the one who called you through the message, the grace of Christ. And, and friends, we're, this is key to us. Um, this is the heart of the gospel. We're not called just to a kind of an intellectual adherence to a message that I memorize and 
and, and, and have in my heart, and I can repeat over and over again, we're called to a relationship with a person. Um, if, if we move from the gospel, we've not just abandoned a theological position, but we've abandoned a personal loving God who's given himself for us in the grace of Jesus Christ. Paul says uh, elsewhere, you know, look at how you're called. Um, I love Romans 8 where Paul writes to the Roman church. He says those who've been predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Having, having come into the grace of God in this way. It's so astonishing that it might be possible for us to turn away. Ephesians 1, 4, I think we read last Sunday, he chose us in him um, to be called into this grace through Jesus, into something so glorious. Paul says, how can you turn away from this Jesus, from this cross of Christ? And deserting so quickly, even more painful. Um, for these churches, uh, it's probably 18 months at the most since Paul planted them with his uh, apostolic team. This gospel of grace is so fresh um, and already they've had their heads turned by by other doctrines they've only recently been baptized into Christ and yet now brokenhearted they've abandoned the core uh, elements of their faith before they've even got established wow I, I guess we've got a question this morning and I won't dwell on it too much or answer it too comprehensively for you but I, even as I was looking at this passage I was thinking back over the years to some Dear friends, even, even one of my best friends, who I probably one of the first people I baptized as a 15 or 16-year-old, uh, who now is not following Jesus. And if we're honest, we can probably all think of people like that that we know, even people that have been baptized that seem to have come into the gospel, um, but then seem to have walked away. A question we must grapple with as we look at texts like this is, is God's calling not really effective? Can we really walk away and, and lose our salvation? <coughs> And without getting distracted too much by that question this morning, because we're just reading it into the text and we want to stay with the, the message that's here, I think the answer is probably no and yes. Uh, that helps you, doesn't it? It's um, a good preacher's answer. Listen, he who called us once and for all, he who's faithful to complete what he started in us, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. We know these verses, don't we? He'll never leave you or forsake you. He won't leave us alone as orphans. He's given us the Spirit guaranteeing our inheritance. Romans 8, later on, again, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Uh, wow. But he's also the one who says, who warns us not to fall away. He's the one who says not to receive the grace of God in vain. He's the one who says you're to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Jesus is the one who gave us the parable of the sower with seed going down, apparently growing, some being stolen, some being choked, some being washed away, some growing to fruitfulness, wonderful fruitfulness. What do we do with these passages? Uh, may, maybe like some churches, and this can be true sometimes, we say, well, those who've abandoned the grace of God, they were never really, they never really knew him in the first place. They just got caught up. Uh, uh, but, but when push came to shove, uh, they drifted away. That may be part of the answer sometime. I think the other side of that coin uh, is to say that God never stops loving. God always pursues. He, le he leaves the 99 to go for the one. That's another parable Jesus told. Uh, he longs that no one should perish. We don't yet know the end of the story, even though we're just in the middle of it right now. I think somewhere in both of those scriptures and ideas that Jesus talks about uh, is our answer to that question. Let's read verse 6 together. Uh, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. 
um, to turn to a different gospel. To When we talk about repentance and coming to faith in Jesus in the first place, I say that, and we often do this even physically, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're turning away from your old life, from your independence, from our self-centeredness, from our sin, from our rebellion against God, and I'm turning to Christ at the cross. I'm, it's, a, it's a kind of 180-degree turn. That's what repentance is. I'm going to begin to walk his way now with his leadership. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that's the step we invite you and the journey we invite you to take from this morning with us, to follow Christ, to repent and turn to him. Paul uses the same word here to say you've turned to a different gospel. So we, we turn from our old life. We turn from our old ways. We are wholeheartedly and exclusively following Jesus Christ. But now we've turned 180 back again, he says, um, to the Galatians. It's a reverse action. And, and to what have we reversed into? To another gospel? An, another good news? A better gospel? Well, I don't think so. Um, these are the people that responded to the Jesus who said, Come to me, all you who are heavily laden, all you who are burdened by the law, all you who are unable to get right with God in your own strength, all you who are unable to please him through your own ways and efforts, all you who cannot even begin to approach him in your sin and your imperfection. If you come to me, you who are burdened in this way, I will give you rest. Come to my finished work, Jesus said. I'll lead you to the Father that you could never get to alone. I'll, I'll put a, a yoke on you, a shape on you, which is light. I'll give you my perfection, my righteousness. I'll ensure you never have to work to earn any kind of merit for your salvation or keeping right with God again because I've, I've done it for you once and for all through my perfect work on the cross. And I've given you my Holy Spirit, my presence my promise to be with you, to never leave you alone, to not abandon you back to the world or into your own effort, but to live in you, to fill you, to lead you to the Father. Come to me. I don't think the gospel they've turned to is better than that in any way, shape or form. Verse 7 goes on, uh, which is really no gospel at all. Oh, there we are. It makes our point. Um, evidently, some people are throwing you into a confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. It's not possible Paul says that any other gospel is better than this. In fact, if maybe Paul's thinking, oh, what have I said? You've turned to another gospel. He's now saying emphatically, no, there's no other gospel. This is no gospel at all. Um, the gospel of the, uh, of the grace of Christ, as Paul talks about it here, is that it's the better gospel. It's the only gospel. There's no higher gospel. There's no gospel 2.0 upgrade to download in the 21st century. There's nothing further to come. Don't wait any longer. Um, if you're waiting for it, let's go back to the original gospel. Jesus and his finished work on the cross is the ultimate revelation of how God is working in the world through his son, Jesus Christ. Paul's saying to this church, any men who come in amongst you saying, I oh, know here's a progression from this with our coming back under the Jewish laws. They're not just peddling another gospel for you. It's no gospel at all. Today we find uh, millions around the planet who are following Islam. It was Muhammad that came centuries ago saying I've got a greater revelation one that goes beyond one that builds on Judaism and Christianity it's the third great revelation or maybe you find later on uh, Joseph Smith who had his revelation with his special golden glasses and his golden tablet but it's a different gospel it's no gospel at all compared to the justification of faith that is alone for us in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross I know it's easy for us to sit here in church in Crawley on a Sunday and say, well, we wouldn't fall for that kind of stuff that the Galatians fell for. But do you know what? We see churches and believers and men and women like you and me falling for that stuff all the time. How about all the prosperity preachers that do it a bit more subtly? 
that tell us we can have it all today. Uh, countless deceivers. You can take your pick of messages that are available all over the world, all over the internet. Paul says, if they don't line up against this gospel, this gospel, the cross of Christ, they are no gospel at all. They're not good news in the light of Jesus Christ. The only way, the only truth, the only life. He's the living water. He's the bread of life. However attractive they may be, whatever sheen of rightness or sense of spirituality they may have, they are always a lesser gospel. They are no gospel. As our friend Donald Trump would say, they are fake news. 